All right, good morning, Central Church. How's everybody? Happy New Year. Great to see you this morning. If you're watching us live stream this morning on our Facebook Live page or on our website, we're glad you're joining us. Many of you are in the concourse out in the hallway uh, sitting. God bless you today as you join us as well. Um, We are starting a new series today. It's called When. I'm going to explain that in just a second. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Psalms. If you need a Bible, we have brand new Bibles. We just purchased a bunch of new Bibles, New Living Translation Bibles. There's one in the seat back pocket in front of you or maybe under a seat uh, if you're up front. And we really, I I love it when you you turn to the scriptures with me and read through that main text. Um, That'd be awesome. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for uh, your presence in this place. You, You promised that when we gathered together as your church, in the name of Jesus, that you would be there. And so we know you're here. And Lord, I pray for every person that's seated here right now that, um, Lord, whatever level of discouragement or heartache or pain or disease they're experiencing, God, you are the healer. You are the restorer of our lives. You are the encourager. So Holy Spirit, move freely, I pray, among us right now. And for those that are just distracted, um, it's difficult to focus because of life circumstances, just give us the ability now for a few minutes to focus on your word and to be fed, uh, to find life in the scriptures today, God. And um, just pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand the scriptures as we read and teach them this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be in Psalm 1 in in just a minute, very first Psalm. Uh, I'm in awe of people that have a comprehensive knowledge of an area. And I run into them all the time, business owners. Or, or, but our, our IT guys, our tech guys here at Central, are, they have a comprehensive knowledge of the, the software programs that we use. And so I, I just totally mess up on my computer. I, I, I get into a program and I hit the wrong buttons and I end up somewhere and I can't get out of it. And I'll just literally walk my computer across the offices and find one of our tech guys and say, I don't, I don't know how I got here, but you got to get me out. And they know how I got there. And then they know how to get me out uh, because they have this comprehensive knowledge of, of the, the program, software programs that we use. Anyone that's been married for 40 or 50 or 60 years and still loves their spouse has a comprehensive knowledge of marriage. How many of you have been around somebody, been married that long, and they still love each other, and they kind of know what's going on? Like you can ask them questions, and they've probably experienced whatever you're experiencing in a, in a difficult marriage or in, in a challenge in your marriage because they, they've seen it before. They've, they've lived through it. They have this comprehensive understanding of marriage. And the book of Psalms has a comprehensive knowledge of the human condition. We're, we're, we're entitling this series, When? Because the Psalms teach us what we're supposed to do when we experience certain things in life. Like, like when we feel overwhelmed, when we're lonely, when God doesn't seem very near to us, when evil people frustrate us, when we, when we can't find reasons to praise God. All, all of the Psalms speak to, to almost every circumstance in life. And so each week we're going to be studying a Psalm and answering the question, when? When this is true, the psalmist will tell us how we can respond in a godly way. Um, what do we need to know about the psalms? Well, you, you probably know something about the psalms. They're, 
they're a collection of writings. There's 150 of them. Uh, half of them, 73 to 75 of them, were written by King David. David's probably the most famous writer of the Psalms. But we also know there were six other authors. And beyond that, there are 48 Psalms that are anonymous, that we don't even know who the author is. So there could be a lot of different authors in the book of Psalms. Um, Moses is uh, probably the one that wrote the very first or the earliest psalm. That would have been around 1500 B.C. So since 1500 B.C., they've been collecting these poetical writings, these wisdom writings, these psalms, and putting them in, in a book called the Psalms. And all throughout Israel's history, uh, nearly every time they would gather for a, a religious purpose, they would include the Psalms. Think of the Psalms as a hymnal. Think of the Psalms as a book of prayer. That's how Israel used them. So they gather together, and you, you may or may not know this, but when they gather together, they would, they, would do a, they would have a couple of readings. They would read from a portion of the Old Testament from the law and the prophets. Then they would read or recite a section from the Psalms, the wisdom literature. And the thought behind that was, when, when the, the leader read the law or when he read the prophets, it was like God speaking to the people, God revealing his law, God speaking through the voice of one of the prophets. And so they would receive what God was saying. Then when they recited the Psalms, it was their response to God. So they were, they were singing, they were, they were responding back. So God would speak to them and then they would speak to God. We do it a little bit differently here, don't we, in, in most evangelical churches. We sing first. So we first express our hearts to God, and then when the sermon comes, then hopefully God speaks to us through the Scriptures, right? Um, so, so they've been a part of Hebrew worship, Jewish worship, really since the time of Moses as they gathered together. So as we begin to journey through the Psalms, we're going to do this for five months. We're going to be done with this in about the middle of June. We're going to look at a lot of Psalms. What are we going to discover? Uh, there, there's a lot of different types of Psalms. Um, the first thing we're going to discover, not in order, but one of the things we're going to discover in the Psalms is prayers for help. Prayer, if you're taking notes, you can follow along. Prayers for help. In other words, in our, in our darkest times, in, in times of sadness and sorrow, in times of lament, how do we respond to God? Like, how do we pray? Sometimes when you're, you're in seasons of life, we don't even know how to pray. We, we don't even know what to say to God. And so the Psalms begin to give form and substance to our prayer life. Sometimes we need to be inspired or ignited in prayer, and the Psalms can do that. So certainly we're going to encounter prayers um, for, for, uh, for help. Uh, we're also going to come across declarations of trust, declarations of trust. Regardless of the circumstance the psalmist is in, he's going to say things like this, yet will I praise you, Lord. Uh, even though I'm going through this, I'm still, I'm still going to count on your faithfulness. My, my hope is in you. We're going to find declarations of trust when circumstances aren't what we hope they would be. We're going to encounter uh, hymns of praise. We're going to encounter hymns of praise. Now, the Psalms are inspired by God. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're Scripture. So the Psalms are supposed to inform our worship. They're, they're supposed to create a theology of worship, if you will. They're, they're supposed to create doctrines of devotion to the Lord. Um, so, so they should shape how we praise and how we worship God. They should teach us what it looks like to worship God as God wants us to worship Him. 
We're also going to come across songs of thanksgiving as we walk and journey through the Psalms. Songs of thanksgiving. We're going to come across Psalms where the writer is reminding us. He's reminding us of the greatness of God. He's reminding us of the works of God. He's reminding us of the power of God. He's reminding us of the the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God because, because as we're reminded of these things, no matter what we're going through in life, we can have a spirit of thanksgiving because we can remember, oh yeah, God, you're good. Yeah, God, I know you've worked in my life. So we're going to come across these songs of thanksgiving that, that help to form in us a, a heart of thanksgiving. And then we're going to come across insights that teach. Insights that teach. We're going to come across psalms that talk about the righteous person and the wicked person. What's the difference? The wise and the unwise. We're going to come across psalms that are didactic in nature, meaning they're teaching-oriented. They help us to understand how to live life, how to navigate life as part of this genre of Hebrew poetical wisdom literature. So that's what we're going to experience. So if you're in Psalms, turn to Psalm 1. We're going to read this together. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. But I memorized most of the verses that I know by memory in the New American Standard. So sometimes I'll confuse it and I'll jump back and forth into the New American Standard. Um, So here we go. Psalm 1, verse 1. Oh, the joys. Another version says, how blessed is the person. Uh, The word blessed there is the Hebrew word a share, and it just means happy, fulfilled, joyful. Like, who doesn't want to be happy in life? Raise your hand if you don't want to be happy in life, right? All of us, you don't want to be happy in life? Always. But that's why we're reading Psalm 1. That's right. Happy. So Psalm 1 is going to tell us how we can live that meaningful, fulfilled, happy Joyful life. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow or walk according to the advice or the counsel of the ungodly, or stand around with sinners, or join or sit with mockers. A contrast. But the the righteous person, the, the blessed, wise person, they delight in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, the Scriptures, meditating, meditating on it day and night. And when you see day and night in, in the Psalms or in Proverbs, it, it's just a Hebrew euphemism for continuously or regularly. It doesn't mean legalistically you have to read the Bible in the morning and read the Bible at night. It just means that, the, that this person continuously meditates on God's truth. Verse 3, they are like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked, contrast. The wicked are like worthless chaff. Now, chaff is the the unedible shell or husk that covers a grain or a kernel of wheat. The the farmer would separate the the husk or the shell from the, the kernel and throw the chaff away and burn it because it's useless, it's not, it's not edible. Uh, in, in those days, they would, they would sift and shake the, the kernels and separate the, the husks or the chaff and then kind of throw it in the air and the wind would blow the, the chaff away. Just to give you a picture of chaff. They're, they're worthless like chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place 
among the godly. For the Lord watches over or knows or understands the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Psalm 1, it's the headwaters of all of the psalm. It's the beginning of the river. It's where we launch out in our boat to begin to journey through the psalms. It's the trailhead. It's the, it's the, the, the starting point where we begin to journey through the book of Psalms. And I believe if we don't understand Psalm 1, we're going to have a difficult time understanding all of the Psalms. I think Psalm 1 is at the very beginning for a purpose, and we need to grasp the understanding of, of, of the first Psalm in order to kind of unlock some of the meaning of the other Psalms. Psalm 1 is about worldviews. Worldviews. What is a worldview? A worldview is how we determine in life what's true or what's real. It's, our, it's the, the, the moral foundation upon which we live life, upon which we make decisions. And Psalm 1 uses two images to describe two different kinds of worldviews. Chaff is one type of worldview, and a tree planted by a stream of water is another type of worldview. The chaff represents a worldview that is not based on the Bible, and not based on God, but based on cultural beliefs and philosophies. So when, you, when we talk about the, 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 the worldview of the chaff in this story, in this psalm, it's not based on the Bible. It's based on the trends, the thoughts, the philosophies, the ideology of culture. And therefore, the worldview of chaff, it's always changing. It's driven by the wind. It goes wherever the new cultural thoughts, the new cultural ideas, the, the new ideas and thoughts that, that culture believes. On the other hand, there's a tree planted by a river, and that worldview is based on Scripture. It, it's based on the Word of God. It's a biblical worldview. We know that because it says the tree's roots go into the river and draws nourishment from the river, and that's like the person who meditates on God's word day and night, right? So the tree is representing a worldview that's based on God and the truth of Scripture. So the, the, the one is always changing, the one that's driven by the wind of culture. The other one is not. The tree is, has a deep root system. The tree is based on the timeless, changeless, eternal truths of Scripture. So the foundation of the tree is firm. It doesn't change. It, it's not evolving because it's, it's, it's based on Scripture, which is forever settled in heaven. And it says that the tree bears fruit. Well, what's the fruit that the tree bears? I think that the fruit in this metaphor are the blessings that come to the person that makes God's word their foundation. When you make God's word your foundation, you bear fruit, your leaf doesn't wither, you find success. What you do, God, has, there's meaning and purpose to what you do. And remember, the psalm began with blessed, a share in the Hebrew, which means happy. There, there's no guarantee that the, the worldview based on culture is really bringing happiness. But there is a sense in which God brings happiness to those who build their lives upon the foundation of Scripture. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do now is I want to I talk about some, some components of a biblical worldview. 
Because that's what Psalm 1 is about. What do we build our life on? What are the the essentials, the the changeless, timeless essentials of God's Word? And I'm barely scratching the surface. I'm going to give you four, and there's tons, okay? The first is this. God created the world with purpose. God created the world with purpose. So we're going to go back to the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1.1 which says this, in the beginning, who? God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created everything. So we're going to jump into the New Testament, into John chapter 1, and John's going to say basically the same thing, but now he's going to include Jesus Christ as God's Son, part of the Trinity, who was also involved in creation. So John says this, in the beginning, the Word, the Logos, that's a reference to Jesus, In the beginning, before there was any creation, Jesus already existed. He's eternal, Son of God. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Jesus. Jesus is a participant in the creation story. And nothing was created except through him. Now, Genesis 1 says God created everything in the heavens and in the earth. John 1 says nothing was created, including us, that Jesus and the Father didn't create. And I want to suggest this morning that God created everything with purpose. There's no accidents in God's creation. God was intentional about what he created, including us. I am not an accident. I am not the result of random evolution. I am the result of an intelligent designer, an intelligent creator that created me with divine purpose, and so are you. You were created with intentionality by God. You weren't randomly, you didn't suddenly appear by accident. No, God had a divine purpose for your life. You you are uniquely created. So when we come to to Psalm 139, David wants to reaffirm that point. And so in verses 13 and 14, he says this to God, God, you, you formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. God whipped out the knitting needles and God chose the color of yarn. God chose the texture of the yarn and God uniquely wove you together as an individual in your mother's womb. God purposefully created you. David says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, for I am fearfully, say fearfully, and wonderfully, say wonderfully, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen, amen, amen. He goes on, and and, and wonderful are your works, myself and all of creation, and my soul knows it very well. I want to start there. David says, my soul knows very well, deep within me, that you created me with purpose. And and I honestly believe that, that all of us, everyone has this inward, intuitive, innate understanding that their life is supposed to have meaning, that God created them for something beyond themselves. That that they are that they were created with with special, unique purpose that, that no one else really shares. The, the word fearfully there, as you jump back, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That word in the Hebrew means uniquely. 
uniquely made. Everything that God made about you, he uniquely designed with purpose. God created your DNA. Everybody's DNA is different. Everyone's DNA is unique. So God determined before you were born your hair color, your eye color, your height. He he, he determined to some degree your personality, your temperament, your skin color, your ethnicity. He determined when and where you were going to be born. This is all part of God's purpose. He created intentionally your gender because that's part of who you are. God created that. And God created you in your mother's womb with his story in mind. God looked down the corridors of history. God knew everything that was going to unfold. God knew everything that was going to happen. And he started creating you, thinking about the time you were going to be born, what was happening in that generation, what was happening in that context. And he said, you're the person. You're the one that I'm uniquely creating to fill that gap, to influence that generation. To, to, to be an inspiration to and to have an impact upon the people that I set you in relationship with. We call it oikos. It's your relational world. And God determines that. The time and place of your birth, who you are, what you look like, your, your interests, your personality, all of that went into your DNA when God uniquely created you. David says, I know it. I, I know there's a purpose beyond me. I can remember as a young boy just thinking there, there, there was a purpose for my life. I didn't know what it was, but I knew that I was here for a reason. I, I knew that, 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 that I was to do something with my life. And knowing that, that God created everything with purpose, there's two tragedies. One is some people never come to that, that realization to the point where they, they pursue it. They pursue the purpose of God. And there's, a, there's another epidemic in our culture today. And it's hitting our young people like never before. It's the epidemic of suicide. People taking their lives. And when, when people die by suicide, when people take their life, they, they don't understand or they're not considering or they're not valuing God's story. They're not understanding that God uniquely made them and had a divine purpose for their birth and their life, that there were people that God saw, there were circumstances that God saw, that he knit you together in your mother's womb because you were the person that God wanted to fill that gap. And when you're not there, there's a hole that has to be filled. And I I, I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you've ever entertain thoughts of suicide. I don't know if you're depressed or discouraged or you're entertaining those thoughts today, but a biblical worldview, a tree planted by streams of water, understands that you were created uniquely for God's purpose. It's a story bigger than yours. It's a story bigger than your immediate life or even your family. It's a bigger story than that. And God allows you to be in his play, in his drama, in his book, in his movie. You have a significant part if you have a biblical worldview, you understand those things. The the second thing is God's purpose for humanity is to reflect his glory. God's purpose for humanity is to reflect his glory. So we go back to Genesis chapter 1. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, like God. 
They will reign over the fish of the sea. They will reign over the birds of the sky. They'll reign over the livestock. They'll reign over the wild animals of the earth. They'll they'll reign over the small animals that scurry along the ground. They're going to have a higher place of honor and glory in my in my created world. So so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Those verses teach us that we are image bearers of God. That that, that we, God never said that about stars. God never said that about planets. He never said it about animals. And he never said it about plants, that they were made in the very likeness of God. Because humanity has a unique purpose. We are to be mirrors that reflect the the image and likeness and glory of God. That's that's why God created us. And we are of tremendous value in God's created world. So Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, and and he says this in response to the, the Christians in the first century, their question about, is it okay for Christians to eat meat that's been offered to a, to a pagan god? Is it okay for us to, to drink wine that's been poured out in honor of a, of a demon uh, or, or alcohol in general as Christians? What, what do we do with this? And Paul, Paul says, whether you choose to eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. That's the filter through which we run every question, every decision in our life that we're uncertain about. Will this honor and bring glory to God? Every question. And then in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says that to the church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that, here's your purpose, you may proclaim or declare the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter says your, your purpose is to declare with what you speak and with how you live, the moral excellence of God. People should hear you by what you say and by what you do. They should hear about the excellence of God, the moral character of God, because remember, we were created in the image and likeness of God. We are mirrors that reflect the very glory of God in our lives. So everything runs through that filter. Am I I honoring God? Am I bringing glory to God? Am I reflecting his moral character, his excellence in the things that I do. As you think about alcohol consumption, you have to run that through the filter. Is, is, is the degree to which I consume alcohol honoring God? Does one more drink honor God? Does any drinks honor God? The amount that I drink, does that bring honor to God? What about the way we dress? We run that through the filter. of Is, is this honoring to God? Does this reflect his moral excellence. The, the words that I, that I speak to people, is that reflective of God's heart for people? Ch- kids, h- how do you speak to mom and dad? Is that honoring to God? Do you speak in a way that's consistent with how God wants you to speak to people? We, we run all of these things, things through that filter. What, what I put on social media, my social media posts, come on. Is that honoring to, does that bring glory to God? Is that reflective of God's heart and God's love and God's goodness and God's character? These things, I'm to proclaim the excellencies of God in my life. So when when Shirlene and I were dating just three or four years ago, it seems like, yeah, um, we were reading books and talking to people about developing a dating philosophy. And by dating philosophy, I mean, what what are the boundaries before we're married? 
And, and typically, that's just physically, romantically, you know, touchy. What are we going to do? What are we not going to do? So we'd read books. I don't know if I heard this from somebody or read it in a book, but somebody said, when you're alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend, you shouldn't do anything that you wouldn't do if your mom was there. Like, how stupid is that, right? Like, I wouldn't even kiss a girl in front of my mom. Like, and I know it's okay to kiss, right? I mean, I, but, that, but, but let's consider the question, and let's take it to a different level. So if God sees you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend, which he does when you're alone, is what you're doing physically honoring and glorifying to God? You have to ask that question in every arena of life. I was created to glorify God. I was cre- Whether you eat or drink or date or whatever, let it all be done to the glory of God. So ask yourself, if Jesus were here and watching, would he be honored by how I'm treating my girl? Would he be honored by how you're treating your guy? The third thing we need to understand about a biblical worldview is that God values human life. God values human life. So we go to Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood. God says, I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings, we already read this, right, in his image and in his likeness. So regardless of your opinion or position on capital punishment, let's set that aside, okay? Let's set that aside for a minute. These verses do a couple of things. Number one, they elevate the level, the value of human life. They say God deeply values humanity and God instilled consequences for harming people. We can at least get that out of this. Whether we believe in capital punishment or not, we can at least say God values human life and God instilled some type of punishment to discourage people from harming other people, right? Because we're created in the image and the likeness of God. Would you agree with that? So if God values human life, shouldn't we? But what does that mean? We're the tree planted by the stream, establishing a biblical worldview. Part of the worldview says God values people, doesn't want us to injure and harm people, but he wants us to value them. We have to think through these issues. So I I know this usually lands in the the decision-making lap of politicians. But, But as followers of Christ, as those trees with a biblical worldview... We need to do everything we can to discourage war. We need to do everything we can to discourage our nation or another nation going to war where where lives are going to be killed. Why? Because God values human life. You can't always uh, um, uh, avoid war. Nations cannot always, there's times and places that we do actually go to war. But if we can avoid it, don't you think we should? We need to protect, if we value human life, we need to protect the unborn. We need to protect children in their mother's wombs. We need to find a way to be on the side of valuing life because God values life. God does want life harmed. We need to value the elderly in our society. We need to esteem the elderly and not discard them. 
If we value human life, we need to stop human trafficking. Come on, somebody. We need to stop prostitution and, and child slavery. We, we need to be on the side of delivering people from bondage if we value human life. We need to care for the needs of the poor. We need to come alongside the, the orphans and the widows in their distress and find a way to help them. We need to stop bullying. Amen? Amen. Young people, listen to me for a second. If you have a biblical worldview and there's bullying going on at your school, you need to find a way to try to stop that because you value human life. If people are being bullied on the internet, you need to find a way to discourage that because God values human life. Do, do you value human life? That's part of the tree planted by the stream of water. And, and point number four is this. God created us to know him. God created us to know him. So, a biblical worldview begins with knowing God. In the Proverbs, it, it says, um, the, beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, knowing God, is the beginning of a, of a path of wisdom. I love what uh, Billy Graham says about uh, this. Billy Graham says, God created us for one reason, to know him and love him and have fellowship with him. And John 17, 3 says this, this is eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So we, we, we're back to two worldviews. The, the worldview of the chaff, it's always changing based on worldly culture and philosophy, and a biblical worldview like the tree that's planted by streams of water, unchanging, timeless, firm, deeply, firmly planted in the soil. Now, parents, let me just address you for a second. Because you need to see your responsibility as parents in light of Psalm 1. Your responsibility is to raise trees, not chaff. Your responsibility is to raise trees, not chaff. To raise children that have a biblical worldview, that understand what God's word says, that, that, that are like that tree planted by the stream of water, that regularly, as they're young, it comes through you. As they're older, we hope that they do it for themselves, but they make God's word the foundation of their lives. You have the responsibility. You are not to produce chaff. Come on, somebody. There's enough chaff in the world. There's chaff in politics, there's chaff in our school systems, there's chaff in our communities, there's chaff everywhere. And we are not to, to perpetuate chaff, we're to raise up trees. Isaiah calls them oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. So my question to you parents is, are you raising trees or chaff? And for those of you that are not parents or your kids are maybe already gone, are you a tree or are you chaff? What's your worldview? What's it based on? So we're going to transition to a time of communion this morning, the Lord's Supper. And, and if you did not receive the elements on the way in, we have some ushers that would love to give you those elements. If you'll just slip your hand up, if you didn't get the communion elements, and they'd be glad, keep it up, they'll be glad to, to give you those elements. We're going to come to a moment at the end of our service, a moment of reflection. We're going to reflect for a minute on what we just heard. One of the things I said in terms of a biblical worldview is that God's purpose for humanity 
was to reflect his glory. So I have to ask you as we approach the Lord's table this morning, is there an area of your life that's not honoring and bringing glory to God? Is there a sin in your life this week that it didn't honor God? Paul said communion is a time of examination, reflection. Here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 11. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So that's why in order to avoid sinning against the body and blood of the Lord, you should examine yourself before partaking. I'm going to ask you to do that. I'm going to ask you to examine your heart, ask the Holy Spirit this morning, in what area, Lord, am I not bringing glory to you? What am I doing that's not honoring you? And I want you to bring that to the Lord's table this morning and lay it before him and ask him for forgiveness. Just bow your heads for a moment. Spirit, whether it's things we've said, ways we've treated people, lustful activities, we confess that we've fallen short of your glory. The problem's not the law, the problem's our heart, Lord. We confess our sin. And we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you take the bread out this morning? Lord, this bread represents your life. It represents the humility that you had to endure the cross, a cross you didn't deserve. Lord, this morning, help us to humble ourselves like you humbled yourself and honestly assess and examine our own lives and be willing to confess to you, Lord, that we fall short. Go ahead and partake of the bread. So, Lord, it's in that spirit of humility that you demonstrated that we come before you to your table. Some with shame, some with dishonor, some with regret, some with confusion about what am I going to do now. We lay it before you. And, Jesus, thank you that you said this cup represents the new covenant in my The cup represents a new start, a second chance. It represents the cleansing of our souls from its unrighteousness. So Lord, this morning it's with thanksgiving that we receive the cup of the new covenant that washes all of our sin. You can partake of the juice this morning. Thank you.
stand with me this morning? Communion, don't, don't, don't lose focus for a second. Communion is a time when two things happen. Probably more than that. But one, we identify our sinfulness and our weakness and we receive cleansing. Cleansing from all of our sin. But the second thing that happens at the Lord's table is he empowers us with his grace to live differently. So we confess our sin. We, it's wrong. I, I shouldn't have done that. But now, Lord... I need the power of grace that flows in your blood to make me different this week. To not stumble again. To reflect the glory of my creator. To be better at being a clear mirror that reflects God to those in my relational world. As you leave this morning, a couple of things. One, this is the weekend that we, we receive a, a benevolent offering that goes to financially help people in our church and outside of our church that need help. We've been talking about valuing people, right? This is one way that we value people. Second thing is, if you have a prayer request, go ahead and drop that in the offering or in the boxes on the way out. And the third thing is, if you need prayer this morning, there's going to be some folks up here to pray with you. And so don't leave until you get prayer. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.